0: Kids are loud downstairs, so I had to. I had to basically. I got kicked out of my office, which is downstairs. It's in a more
1: like a central space. Yeah. So, um, you can hear all the noise down there. You know, when I, uh, we moved into the house, there's an office downstairs, and um, it's similar feelings that if I had the office downstairs, I would most often be. Uh, surrounded by noise which was fine because it's also right off the kitchen so it made a great playroom but what i didn't anticipate is that i often get kicked out of my office upstairs as well because the (laughs) kids will come up and play yeah because every room is eventually a playroom
0: you know it's funny like you 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 design the house you or you buy a house you pay the mortgage and ultimately none of the house is yours yeah (laughs) nothing's off limits nothing belongs to you anymore it's just the way it is um yeah my, uh, you were mentioning your kids were, were sick and stuff. My, my seven year old didn't go to school because last night he was, um, he was coughing like crazy. He had like a fever the day before. Mm. And, mm. and so we're like, okay, he's, he's been up all night coughing, right? He can't go to school or whatever. He's going to be super tired. And then at school, he's going to be coughing like crazy. Well, right. the way it works, you keep the kids home from school and then all of a sudden they're feeling great. Right. And he's yeah. outside running around and he's making all this noise. And so that's one of the reasons I had to
1: evacuate my office for yeah.
0: another room, but just, just the way it works. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, and uh, as you mentioned that, I'll say that one of the things that I sort of noted right before I jumped on the call was it's extremely quiet downstairs and it's been quiet for a few days. But this morning it was just Steven seems like he's feeling better. It's so funny. We've been feeding him basically nothing but bread like crackers, cereal, pretzels and all of that. And then he's, he's kind of gotten to the point where he's like, no bread. But yesterday he was like, I want a bean and cheese taco. Like, give me just, and so we did, we gave him bean and cheese taco. It stuck. So that's good. But, and he woke up this morning feeling really good playing a lot. And I just noticed that it's really quiet downstairs. So I wonder if like, maybe his energy has dissipated if he, he got everything he could for the day.
0: But that, that's how, you know, the the appetite is back. That's how, you know, they're feeling better. Um, It was the same with my son. He, um, you know, he wasn't eating for like two days. We made him jello. He even mm-hmm. he loves jello, but he like barely ate that. And then all of a sudden, I think it was yesterday, he was like, "Ooh, that smells good. We're cooking dinner." He's like, "That smells good. I want some of that." He kept up, and he kept asking when it was going to be ready. Mm-hmm. So we we knew he was feeling better. We knew his appetite was back. Um, again, if he wasn't coughing like crazy last night, we would have we would have sent him
1: to school. Yeah. And coughing is is it's a such a different symptom in this world than it was three or four years ago, right? Oh, like somebody has right. a cough.
0: you got to be careful, you know, coughing in public, you know, you get that stigma around you. And yeah. and just, you know, yeah, absolutely different environment for sure.
1: Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I hope I hope your son feels better. I'm hoping that our kids uh make it, you know, they feel better through the weekend. Both are both are sick, but the younger one is handling it like a champ. Like he's his appetite is not gone anywhere, but he is also fed up with bread. So we'll put like Brad on his little tray, and he'll just pick it up and throw it off the side.
0: Nice, <laughs>
1: like that. He's like, "No, I don't want this." But um, hoping that you know we can do some trick or treating with them on Monday, really. But uh, you know, if we can't, then better luck, better luck yeah. next year.
0: And we've been having really good weather lately, right? Um, you know, we had this massively hot summer that lasted forever. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man, it felt so nice. We got all this rain this morning the weather's like in the 60s or 70s so it just uh it's uh, i know some people like love the sun but for me i'm very much a, like give me like a cold rainy day that's mm-hmm.
1: that's mm-hmm. my thing we've been spending our evenings out on the back porch pretty much every night for the last week because it's it's nice and it's not like too hot it's not too cold it's about 75 degrees there's a good breeze and so yeah we've been we've been hanging out on the uh The couch, or not on the couch, on the uh, back porch for the last week. Like even eating dinner out there and and stuff. Oh yeah, just it's great. Got to take advantage while we have time. Yeah, let's get into what we wanted to talk about today. Awesome, Ram. Well, um, while we have a little bit of time, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about something that's kind of been on my mind, and just maybe get some of your thoughts as well. Um, and so I'm going to, I'm going to state the statement and I also want us to maybe give a little background because both you and I have uh, a lot of um, we've experience in this space. So here's, here's my thought. And I'm thinking about this as I think about how organizations are shaped and grown. And that's that, like, I've started to, to really think that an indicator of an organization's focus on the growth of its employees uh, can be like a a good way to measure that is what is their capacity for hiring early career engineers, engineers that need to be grown versus engineers that already know how to do a thing, right? Like you and I have both been in experiences where people have hired on years of experience because they want to know that you already know how to do this thing or hiring like basically at that, even without experience hiring at that like title level, like we want a senior engineer or. A lead engineer, as opposed to hire, like we can hire. We have the capacity to hire some entry level engineers and train them up. And so that's that's the thing that I want to talk about today, and maybe the pros and cons of both of those approaches, as well as some of mine and your background in in training and what what we have uh, learned from that.
0: Yeah, this is a soup. This is a really packed topic. Um, you mentioned a lot of things there, and I want to make sure that we get to them. Uh, I want to make sure that I capture this so we come back to it. One is that you're hiring somebody at that title. Uh, i not going to talk about it just yet, but I want to make sure that when you um, the idea that you hire somebody at that title means that you're expecting somebody to be able to do certain things. However, that's not always the case, right? When you actually right. hire them, can they do the thing? So that's one. Um, the other thing is uh, hiring junior engineers or or early career engineers, right? I think there's something super special about that because – Uh, it, it, it kind of, it does a couple things. One is it gives people early in their career an opportunity. I Mm -hmm. think, I think everybody's looking for an opportunity and, and getting one is incredibly difficult. Like, you know, so many folks, folks, you know, we talk to, they're having trouble breaking into tech and I know we can both relate. We can look back. Um, our paths were a little different, but I know for sure for me, when I started applying to things like that, it was really tough to convince people that I could do this thing. Yeah. Um, And so I absolutely can relate with those people that are having trouble breaking into tech or whatever it is they're trying to break into. How do you convince somebody that you can do something if you don't have like paid experience, even though you're actually doing that thing, but you haven't had, you know, a paid job that proves that thing. And and, and so I don't really love that either, but I love that. Yeah. That we're going to have the opportunity real soon to be able to help some of those early career people get that first piece. And if they want to stay with us past, you know, six months or whatever it is, no arbitrary uh, number of time, but
1: they can stay with us, you know, and then, and then continue to like pay it forward. Yeah, absolutely. And so like, this is, I think, when I think about like what I want to talk about is this is something of my pitch to organizations as we think about growing our organization that you have, that that we need to be intentional about targeting early, career uh, engineers and in or and and there's a lot of reasons for that I think the first one is that it is a great tell on how overworked or underworked your existing workforce is because like I can think if you think if you come and you're like we need to staff this team and you can't hire an early career engineer somebody that you're going to have to do you know you're going to have to do some work with and some training with you almost owe it to yourself to ask why not why not is it that? we are so pressed on our delivery timelines that we need somebody that can quote unquote hit the ground running something that you and I talked about in the last one. And it's so like, okay, well, that's something to think about. But the other one is oftentimes that we say, well, we don't have anybody that can dedicate the time to them because all of our existing folks are, you know, churning out work. And it's like, okay, well that's something entirely different is now you, you recognize that you you don't have the mentorship capacity to bring on an early career engineer, somebody that needs, you know, a a strong mentor to, to, to help them work through, honestly, what is most of the time much more convoluted than the code that they saw when they were like going through training and stuff like that. Like you and I have seen a lot of production code bases that now none of them are pretty, um, and so, like you know, that's that's what I think is is the the challenge for an early career engineer is getting into a code base that is completely unlike anything they've ever seen before. Like I'll just say real quick, I remember the first time I saw some code in my first job, and it was an, a a mentor of mine, uh, yeah, mentor of mine that took me and showed me what they were working on, and they opened this one file out of like twenty thousand, and that number is not an exaggeration, uh, in the code base, and that file. Was thousands of lines long, and this was just one class in their you know huge Java architecture, and I was like, this I've never seen anything this complex before, and even clean code at that point doesn't doesn't protect you from complexity. So you know early career engineers have this challenge, and as a an organization, if you want to bring those people on, you have to solve both of those problems. Right, you have to have space in the day. That enables an early career engineer to take a ticket and, frankly, struggle with it a little bit. Ask questions. Pair program. Like the delivery capacity and speed at which things go slows down, and that's you know slows uh, you slow down to be smooth, and you speed up because everything is smooth. That's fine. The other part is you have to have somebody to work with them, and I, I th- so I think about these from an organizational perspective. Is like this is a tell on how how worked your folks are. And how tight your timelines are but i also think of it as you know and this kind of comes back to you and i in training as an opportunity to really own your pipeline like if you are waiting for that senior engineer which is i know a topic that we want to talk about like you need a senior engineer and so you're going through this interview cycle and hiring, looking for senior engineer after senior engineer undoubtedly you're competing with tons of other organizations that are looking for skilled, like talent that has vetted experience already that doesn't have to do that. But in a lot of ways, that means you're at the mercy of the market to find those people because you're waiting on somebody else to be willing to hire and take a chance on that early career engineer. And that's why it's so hard to break in is because everybody's waiting on somebody else to take a chance on that early career engineer and give them an opportunity to come in and prove themselves. But that means that everybody's also waiting on the skill set to be able to deliver their code. And so those are the things that I think about, like, that's my sort of pitch to organizations and pitch to our organization, that we should just skip all of that, make sure that we have the time to spend with early career engineers answering their questions, helping them solve problems that are maybe unique to what they've done, but also, you know, keeping our code base to where people can just jump in um, and, and not be intimidated or overwhelmed. Uh, and then, so that's that's the main thing that I've been thinking a lot about. Uh, some of this is related to like hiring exercises. Um, but a lot of it's just thinking about like, what is the organization that we're looking to grow? Is we're looking to add more people now? And, and w- what's the talent band that we're looking for folks in, right? Because you have myself and you and uh, Lewis all pretty... Established engineers in our practice and patterns, like and and so now we're looking to add more people. What do those people's skill sets need to look like? Can they do we have the capacity to bring on entry level engineers?
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple things that need to happen, or that an organization needs to think about to be able to have this type of mindset, right? And the mindset that you can um, bring on early career engineers. One is pace. If your focus is simply on feature delivery at all costs, right, at the speed of light you have not put yourself in a position to be able to hire early career engineers, or when you hire them, they're potentially going to struggle and face burnout early on because you're trying to say, Hey, get up to speed. This train is not slowing down. Right. And you're trying to say, Hey, keep running, run faster and jump on this train with us. Right. We're not slowing down. And I might not even reach out my hand to, to help you get on the train because guess what? I'm busy.
1: Yeah, I'm busy exactly.
0: Putting coal on the fire. Right. And that's not an organization that we want to run. Right. Absolutely not. Um, I think that one of the things that we've talked about in the past is being able to hire early career developers to give them an opportunity, again, not charity, but an opportunity. And that's all anybody's really asking for is an opportunity to prove that they can do this thing and to earn a living. Right. But that doesn't mean that you have to, you know, sprint, you know, 60 hours a week to earn that living. We're not looking to do that. And we're not looking for anybody who works with us to do that. And so, first is pace. Yeah. The the pace that we're at is already slower and not in a bad way than any startup that we've been at. And even in yeah. some enterprise, right. It's right now, it's at a, a good pace. It's basically, we work the thing when we have time. yeah um, And if we can maintain that pace or, or uh, we're probably going to pick up pace a little bit, you know, over time, but meaning that when those early career developers do join us, and even experienced developers, you know, join teams, either a mid-level or senior, you don't necessarily want them to have to again run after the train and jump on it. Right? Let's right. and then the second part is is process for me. Uh, aside from the organization, is process. You mentioned this a little bit earlier. Uh, when somebody has to when somebody joins and they you know they first get uh, integrated into a code base. You mentioned this, you hit you had a mentor. That you jumped into a thousand line code base and there were, you know, 20,000 files. We can look at our code base and our pro, and not just the code base, but processes in general. How long does it take you to log in? Do you have to log in through 10 steps? Is it, yeah, do you, ha- do you have to do a urine sample and a blood draw <laughs> to be able to log in, right? And then yeah. do a do a do an eye scan? It's not necessary. It's ridiculous, right? So we can look at all the processes and that includes login, that includes maybe what it takes to actually get a PR merge. And very simply for an early engineer, what does it take to get their environment up and running? Right. So if it's difficult for a senior engineer to get it up and running, you better believe that an early career developer is gonna take longer. And that just means that our process is too complicated. Yeah. Um, I don't believe that, that if the process is complicated and, and, and somebody can't figure it out or somebody figures it out quicker, that they're just smarter. I don't believe that at all. I think that it's our process that's too complicated. And I'm going to use this example in terms of process. We've talked about this before. Uh, You go to Chick-fil-A and you get in line. You can be in and out of that line in five minutes. Yeah. The reason is because they've refined their process, right? They have workers at each stage that are doing that one specific job and they do it well. Yeah. Right? And so... You go to other places, and maybe that line takes you thirty minutes or an hour. Yeah, it's because of the process, and it's the same thing for software. It's the same thing for anything, any time running a business, right? It is refining your process, and so even you know if you classify classify me as a senior elite engineer, I still don't want to go to a code base and go through a hundred step process to be able to get my workspace up and running. Even for me, that's too
1: much. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think, really key. Like you mentioned, like, you know, that having having these well-defined roles that people can step into, like that makes the the flow of, you know, traffic through, through a, the organization better, but, but it also makes it easier to onboard. Because imagine like you onboard into an organization with this very well-defined role of you stand here, you do this task, and then you scope it out as they become more capable or like they've got this down okay now let's do this and my brother used to tell me um he used to like teach like line cooks and one of the things that he would do is if like somebody was really bad at the salad right like really bad at prepping salad like they were under time or whatever and i'm i don't know salad probably doesn't take very long to prep so he could like my this is my other brother i don't even think he listens to this podcast but anyways um he would he would he what he would end up doing is he would basically do every other part of the line And all that cook would do was prep salads, prep salads, prep salads until they just got really good at it. And then he would move them on to the next bit. And like, that's, I mean, that becomes a really great onboarding experience for somebody that's new. And you said something else that I really wanted to hone in on uh, when you're talking about the train and like getting people on and like people just want an opportunity. And I, I think about this a lot because like, it's not really charity. Like you said, like, I think that trust is an asymmetric advantage for an organization. And to the extent that I think good organizations are built on trust, you have to trust your people. And like that's the good organizations are built on trust. And that's that's the the foundation of any any organization. You have to trust your people. But extending trust is an asymmetric advantage to me, starting with trust. Like taking somebody and saying, I trust that you can do this. And then, like to your point about the process, if they can't, not being like, a, oh, that's you. You're not good at this. You're not smart enough. Think taking a step back and saying, like, all right, we trusted them to do a thing, they couldn't do it. Where can we improve to ensure that they're able to be successful? How do we set people up for success? And I think that's really critical when we're targeting, like bringing people into a foreign code base, into a foreign process, into a foreign experience, right? Like especially entry-level engineers, they've gone through a bootcamp, they've gone through college, they've maybe just hustled and ground out their time through a Udemy course on their own. And how do we build environments that allow us to trust them in our code base and then not put the onus on them to tackle all of these obstacles and eccentricities of the way that we function? How do we lower that? And this goes back to like our, that's the overhead, right? That we talk about a lot, you and I, that's the overhead of operations. How do we remove that overhead so that the experiences that they have are more closely relatable, even if those experiences are minimal and just related to like ideal code bases in Udemy projects and personal projects and stuff like that, like how do we make our experiences closer to that? And and when they're not successful, again, coming back to what you said about process, making that a marker or a tell on the complexity that we've allowed to seep in, as opposed to an indicator on their skill or ability. Like, how do we set up our, our ecosystem and our organization to make them productive? I think that's a really important question for an organization to ask that enables them to, to bring on more entry-level engineers. Because if you're not asking those questions, how do we make this easier? That means that you're not making it easier such that you know if a senior engineer has a hard time onboarding, like you said, definitely somebody that is like, like a mid-career late career engineer somebody's been doing this 5 10 years if they're if they're like if they come in and they see a bunch of code smells like what I think is really important is you have those conversations with those guys because the entry level engineers may not know those things but they're definitely going to be the hurdles that they encounter like they may not know that the way that you have all of this stuff orchestrated is bad but they're going to be challenged by it and they're going to propagate it cuz yeah. what's going to happen and we've seen this before is right if
0: if you get introduced to bad code but you don't know it's bad code, that's the code you're gonna write, right? Um, yeah. And it's not until you see good patterns and conventions that you can then recognize the bad code. Right. Um, I see it all the time. you know, uh, you see these, you know, code bases, these files, and and uh, we talked about this before, right? People get used to the noise, um either like console warnings or yeah. just just, dead imports uh there's Mm -hmm. unused imports everything's just a mess but it works and and if you don't know any better it's the way it's supposed to be right and so you want to train and grow early career developers to where they can identify these things and say no this is a good pattern this is the pattern i want to propagate Mm -hmm. you want to grow good people i'm going to use the example of uh you you mentioned something a minute ago in terms of like process right um if you think about accessibility, if you have a focus on accessibility in your applications, web or mobile, mm-hmm. you actually make, and, and Ben Myers, right? The super yeah. great guy uh, always, he taught me this, was that if you when, you, when you focus on accessibility, you not only make things better, your application's better for the users that you're like targeting um, in mm-hmm. terms of the accessibility, right? Maybe they have uh, problems with, with hearing or, or sight, but you make yeah. it better for everyone, even right. even just me. Like, okay, I today I don't have too much problem with hearing or, or seeing, but one day I will. Yeah. But that site is gonna be better for me too, right? Yeah. If I'm a power user, now I can tab through the entire application, etc. You make it better for everyone. So back to the process. If you're if you're making the process better for those, you know, entry level engineers, you're also making it better for the senior engineers, and they're gonna they're gonna thank you. Right. And they, yeah. and they want to do it, right? That's the thing. When I touch a code base and, I, and there's some code smell, there's some rot in there, there's dead you know dead code, I want to pull it out. I want to clean it up. So I'm simply asking that you allow me to do it, right? Empower me. To, and, and then it goes back to what you were saying, is having that trust that I'm bringing these skills here. You asked me to bring the skills here that you allow me to do what you're paying me to do. And that's a huge huge other topic like all together that we could right. get into the weeds in so we won't go there
1: but-, but i i think what's important there is like when we start to think about like okay well like not like okay so you as a you know as an experienced engineer you come in and you're like hey there are some things that are hard in this by allowing and enabling you to fix those things what we're also doing is enabling people that don't know how to fix those things to also now come into that code base so we're moving the barrier to entry lower which is really an important part of like bringing on an entry level engineer because the barrier to entry for them is already really high to get into the industry and i i mean and that's really where i think like um what I, what i guess i'm really thinking about is like as we grow our organization making sure that we're doing it in a way that always makes us capable of bringing on uh you know new career engineers and i think like i mentioned earlier like owning the pipeline and i think there's some really great examples of this in our past i mean we we have both talked about our entry into tech really being around this program that hired folks trained them into be engineers and transitioned them uh based on their military background and i i think that this is one of many programs that um that, that operates like that, especially around vets. but at, at USA they also did this with call center employees and business analysts who take folks that had the business acumen and the business knowledge and transition them to technologists. And like I mean that's a really powerful skill, but it means that you really have to have some um, things in place in your in your process, in your your organizational makeup and just in your cultural identity of who you are to, to make that happen
0: right and i want to kind of shift a little bit and i want us to talk about the benefits right we've been talking about okay you know some of the things that need to happen in order for you to be able to hire early career you know developers engineers and it's not just developers engineers imagine you needed a designer right you have the designer chomping at the bit to 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 land a spot hey you know we want to have a workflow for them too right but let's talk about the benefits because this is super huge I don't want anybody out there to say oh these guys they just you know uh, looking to hire early engineers or whatever because they like to teach or they like to mentor <laughs> there's some real benefits here yeah and and, and you mentioned like you know uh, vet fit and other stuff growing your own talent pool right let's 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 go back to the, the current market yeah today everybody's looking for who senior sure. engineers right seniors yeah. and leads or everybody says give me a senior engineer give me that, that lead engineer but here's what happens. That job posting, it's open for three, four, five, six months. I know because I've been in recent talks with with certain folks. And those positions, they stay open, right? Yeah. And they sit there. And there's positions that are open for like a year because they're looking for that magical senior engineer. Right. But but guess what? You could have hired somebody in a month. If you had a good process in place, you could hire hired somebody in a month or two people potentially for the salary of that one senior engineer. Right. You had a good pipeline in place to, to train these folks, and now they're delivering value. So, what if that value isn't on par with what you consider the value that a senior engineer, engineer is going to provide to your organization? Because when somebody's hungry, I'll use that term hungry, right? I was hungry at one point, like really hungry. I would yeah. stay up to two, I would stay up from like 10 to two in the morning, writing code, building iOS apps. I was just super hungry. I said, I'm ready to make a career change. I loved tech. I loved that allowed me to be creative and build things from scratch, right? Loved it. I was super hungry. And you've got folks out there that are super hungry and they love tech and they're learning it and they're excited and they want to go build something real. I'll take two of those people over one senior engineer who's burnt out. Give me two of those folks, you know, guys or girls or whatever that want to, you know, come in and, and, and not to say that I want them to work 60 hours because I don't, but I want them to take that passion for learning the excitement that they have for this new technology and i'm simply going to give them something to go work on right? right and i can and i can help to train them and grow them and if they want to stay with us for longer than a certain amount of time then they can if not they can at least have something to put you know that was a production application they can put that on their resume now and they can go you know off if they wanted to but that's one of the main benefits there is i have somebody that's actively doing the work versus I'm holding out for that
1: magical senior unicorn engineer. Right. And and it's worth stating here that the longer you go with an unfilled position, there is an actual cost on the people in your organization that are doing the work, because if you have unstaffed or understaffed teams, somebody's carrying that load. So you mentioned like burnt out seniors, and that's a big part of like, you know, you have these men late career engineers that are basically waiting on another, you know, waiting for Superman as it were. And, but like S- Superman is getting a better job offer somewhere else a lot faster because there's so only so many of him. And that's a real challenge or her, you know, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm going to tap into uh, diversity. Inclusion in
0: We're going to pick this up on the next episode of We're Not Saving Babies.